This is Contributors, a show exploring how today's Canadian business leaders are building a better future for Canada. So Jade, we got a big guest on today's show, a big one. We do. Our guest is from Canada's largest professional services firm. Who is it? It is Anthony Veal from Deloitte, and he likes to be called AV, and I'm really excited about this episode. I'm so excited. I I think the biggest alignment to our podcast and Deloitte is their purpose. They're in the business of building a better future for Canada, a thriving future for Canada. What are you excited for? Yeah, I'm excited to hear about that. I'm excited to hear about the work that Deloitte does. I'm also excited to hear about AV's personal journey. I know he is an immigrant to Canada, and I know there's a lot about him that makes him a really unlikely CEO for one of the big four firms. So I want to hear about that and how he ended up here. Very grateful to have him on the show. Let's dive in. Let's do it. So, AV, welcome to Contributors. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's wonderful to have you here with us today. I think first and foremost, for those that aren't familiar with you and your story, uh, tell us about yourself. Yeah, my name is uh, Anthony Veal, and as you referred to me as AV, everyone you can tell from my accent, I'm not from around this part of the woods, so to speak. Uh, everyone from Australia gets a nickname, and mine is AV. I've been uh, seven years in Canada. I've just become a Canadian in 2022, which I'm so proud to be welcomed into this country, so grateful to be welcomed in this country. My background, I'm classically trained as an actuary and as a lawyer. My claim to fame in the professional services landscape is all things analytics, artificial intelligence, automation, and digital. Excellent. You did move to Canada in 2015, as you say. Earlier in my career, I worked really closely with a CEO, uh, CEO of Forrester's, which is a life insurance financial services provider here in Toronto. And this CEO was unusual in that he was from the United States. So when he became uh, CEO of Forrester's, part of his experience was coming to Canada. And there were a lot of things that he found wonderful about that, but there were things that he found unusual and confusing as well. I know one of the big things that he commented on was milk bags. He couldn't figure out why Canadians were drinking so much milk that they needed these giant bags. So my first question to you is, what are the wild and wonderful things that you've encountered since moving to Canada? Too many to mention. I will say there's a lot of similarities between Australia and Canada. Values are aligned, expectations societal uh, in society are aligned, so that part was easy. My dog um, introduced himself to a skunk when we got here, so uh, that was messy for the skunk, that is, and not, not just for the dog. And he's a white dog, so that didn't go down very well at all. You know, what I've learned also was a great appreciation for the survival instincts of Canadians. I mean, this is a hard country, and... Uh, I still scratch my head uh, as to the early pioneers of this country, how they must have, how resilient would they have have to have been and how bad was it on the East Coast to continue to continue going West? Because uh, that wouldn't have been pretty. That's a really good point. I have a good friend who says that sometimes when we have those really cold days in the winter, he'll say, what were our ancestors thinking? <laughs> so... You are the CEO of Deloitte Canada and Chile, I believe. And one of the things that blew me away when I was learning about you in anticipation of meeting you today 
is that you are not an accountant. You mentioned that in the intro, but for those that have worked in professional services, to become a CEO of one of the big four firms and to not be an accountant, that's incredible. So I wanted to ask about that. And I also wanted to ask, do the other partners know? Are they aware that you're not an accountant? Or, 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 am, I, or am I breaking this news right now? <laughs> <laughs> My secret's out, Russell. I've just uh, I've been exposed. Uh, no, they certainly, uh, the process to get elected to CEO and is, co- is complete and comprehensive as you'd expect uh, as an organization where we're a three billion dollar organization across Canada and Chile all provinces of, of Canada and, and and most of Chile um, so you know if you think about that two countries three languages and we have a brand a beautiful brand that's been built on the back of our you know accounting services audit expertise but today you know we, we, we're, we're not what I say our grandparents accounting firm we're quite different and Traditional services that our brands associated to all the time is probably less than thirty percent, to be honest. So that sort of gives rise to you know a non-accountant being given the opportunity. But you are right; I'm the first non-CPA, non-Canadian in 167 years in Canada, and about to be a hundred years in Chile. I'm blessed, Russell. I wake up every morning and pinch myself. And it's, uh, you know, it's just quite an unbelievable privilege and one that I'd never expected seven years ago. Yeah, well, congrats to you on that achievement and congrats to the Deloitte partners for having the vision to elect you. Russell, that's that's an important point. How good is Canada to, to, as a country, to embrace, you know, somebody from the outside and then to be given the privilege, uh, you know, I, I'm nothing but admiration for an organization and a country that can do that. And, you know, we speak about, you know, countries providing immigrants with, you know, opportunities for new lives, to re, you know, reestablish themselves. I mean, this country was built on that uh, premise and we're still living it, what, 175 years on from where we settled here. So I, I, I just think that's amazing. I reflect on that often, Russell, just to say, how good is an organization that lets you do that? Yeah, that, that's incredibly well said. Uh, I know you did have the opportunity to become a citizen this summer and, and uh, I want to say congratulations and welcome to you on that. And, and I wondered if you could share some of your reflections on what does it mean to you to be a Canadian? And, and how do you see our national identity? Because I know, in, in my opinion, sometimes the people who have made the decision to become Canadian have a sharper handle on what that means than people like myself who just had the dumb luck of being born here, right? I, I didn't choose to be a Canadian. You did. So I, I think you had the opportunity to think about it in a way that, that I likely didn't. I, I can tell you what, you know, Canada to me has some wonderful values that really, really appeal to me. And I, I just, I mean that it's just, I felt nothing but, you know, being welcomed across the country. I'd like to play a role in bringing this country closer together. <laughs> I find sometimes it's four, five, six countries in one. And I just go, I think we've got to be honest as Canadians that we're still a small country. <laughs> and if we don't come together, we're not going to do you know, big things. And most importantly, in a world where that's looking for inspiration and belief and human values, 
you know, Canada's got a role to play globally. I feel that you know, we've got such a foundation to do that. And by becoming a citizen to be part of this potential that I see for Canada was quite frankly, you know, in- inspiring to me and-, and made it easy to want to be part of that. And I think of things, you know, just to make it practical. I mean, what all, what country is welcoming what 1.5 million immigrants in the next three years on a population of 37 million people? You know that that that's incredible. What what city like Toronto? One in four are not born in the country, <laughs> which is quite extraordinary. I want to be part of that. <laughs> you know, I want that. That's special. It's it's interesting that you talk about that and and that diversity because that's something that's come up again and again on contributors. So many of our guests have talked about that as as one of Canada's greatest strengths and and something that uh, they've also said. It's a real theme is that if we want to unlock Canada's potential, we need to really lean in on this strength. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, well, I'm presenting here on this podcast with. <laughs> <laughs> with an organization that has a bunch of actuaries, is uh, Canada's got a math problem. You know, we've got a lot of aging Canadians and we're not going to sustain the Canadian way of life, an evolving way of life, unless we have more Canadians. That is for a fact. There's no debate to that. Opening the doors to skilled and unskilled immigrants is critical. I mean, this 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 country was built on both skilled and unskilled. I think we need both. And that's coming through in the services sector, the construction sector, infrastructure sector. We need both skilled and unskilled uh, to come forward to build the community, stronger communities, bigger communities that we can scale. There's other statistics out there that show that Canada integrates immigrants better than anyone else in the world. So I think, again, we've got to recognise that while we can improve, and we certainly can, We can do this better than anybody. This is a Canada advantage, and we should be doubling down on that. You would be familiar with the statistics today. There's a million job vacancies, a million out of 37 million people. And I say also, you know, I'd be wrong of me to say that immigration is the only answer. We've also got a million people uh, that can't get a job. We have a responsibility there. So you put one and a half million uh, immigrants with a million underemployed or unemployed folk, micro-credential them perhaps, or expedite the skills and training that they need. And we, we take the first big step to building this, this stronger country. Let's talk a little bit about your tenure as Deloitte Canada CEO. So you joined at a pretty challenging time. Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah. I was reflecting on this uh, recently <laughs> as I was reading Craig Alexander's economic forecast. <laughs> Those of you who don't know, Craig's probably one of the preeminent economists in this country. <laughs> and today, October 2022, we're in recession. So I look back over my, <laughs> my last three and a half years and I go, well, I had the Ch- uh, we had the Chilean crisis, the social crisis, and then the, you know, the referendum that just concluded peacefully recently, and then we have the pandemic. We'll be back in two weeks, remember that? <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks and this passes over. Uh, and now we're in recession. And I sort of see those three events as accelerators for societal change. I see them as, you know, um, reset buttons for some parts of 
our way of life that was a little askew. I see acceleration of digital, which Canada needs to be at the forefront of that. So uh, rather than looking at them as woe is me, look at these three things that have happened. I've sort of looked at it uh, as as a Canadian citizen now and as a CEO of a a leading organization in, in Canada and Chile and sort of say, you know, these are gifts. If you look at it, the perspective you can take, these are gifts. Gifts in the sense that woke is waking us up to, you know, what's important in life, health and well-being, the need to digitally transform, you know, significant holes in, in, in social services and health systems from the Chile perspective, you know, the need for, you know, social reforms. So... I think there's a part of this that is still very much active, which is, you know, you might call it the great resignation. You might call it the race for talent. The latest trend is quiet quitting. I'm not sure if you've heard about quiet quitting, AV, but Deloitte is not immune to this. So I'd like to know a little bit about how have you uh, approached the the sort of the, the race for talent at your firm? Yes. Well, uh, it's interesting. I mentioned the million Job vacancies at present, we're not immune to that. Every Canadian organisation, corporate uh, or other public agency or otherwise, doesn't have enough talent. And if you sat me down for a cup of coffee tomorrow, and this is what I do every day, I see at least a client a day, uh, they would sort of say this is a number one issue for them. And I say back to them, uh, be prepared to be in this state for five to ten years. And I say... Five to ten years, ten being on the outside for the really specific digital resources, the specific cyber, machine learning, artificial intelligence, those niche resources. And dare I say, even some of the traditional resources like public accounting. Uh, now, again, we don't, cannot afford as Canadians to sort of press pause for ten years and wait for this storm to pass. Ten years is a lot of time. Is a long time. If Peter Diamandis was on the call here, um, those of you don't know, familiar who he is, he's futurist and entrepreneur. He'd tell you that the convergence of exponential technologies is sort of he contends that is going to be a hundred years of disruption in the next ten. So imagine, as a corporate or as an organisation, if you don't have enough talent for the next ten, you could be a hundred years behind. The- that's the good news, Russell. <laughs> the, the way we're going about it is, you know, trying to tap into these under, underemployed Canadians, and there's a lot, uh, unemployed Canadians, and, and trying to give, you know, the reskilling and the retooling in a systematic way through micro-credentialing, uh, through partnering with education institutions to expedite and speed up that, you know, the, the skills training, if you will, and augmenting that with, on the job, if you will, to try and you know shorten that curve, uh, doubling down on digital and automation, which will alleviate the need and then create another need. And what I mean by that is you need some of that to help the the movement of skills from a, a, you know d- different tasks and activities to what I call digital tasks and activity. And and I say this in the sense that automation is actually going to create more jobs. Technology is actually going to create more jobs. We've got more than enough evidence on that basis. But we don't want to have 2 million people unemployed, <laughs> which means that we've got to make sure that we give them their digital skills, reskill them and make a conscious effort as employers. And that's what Deloitte is, is wanting to do. Let's talk a bit about retention, 
So I have reached out to a couple of people I know at Deloitte and asked them, you know, what's life like at, De- at Deloitte? And what I heard a lot about is something called Deloitte Days. So can you tell our listeners, what is a Deloitte Day? How does it work? And frankly, why is it so popular with your employees? Because they love it. <laughs> Russell, that's awesome that you're getting that feedback, by the way. But, you know, like all corporate uh, Canadian organizations, we, we, we are trying tactics to, first and foremost, ensure the health and well-being of our people. And, you know, working through the pandemic, it's been tough. And uh, we've introduced one of our tactics with Deloitte Days. This year is 13, in addition to your normal leave, personal days, and statutory holidays. If you work for Deloitte, you have 40 to 45 days off a year, eight to nine weeks a year. And that's including like the the 24-year-old kids just out of school? Yes, exactly. Why do we want to do that? Because we've got, you know, we've done more than enough work to suggest that when you're healthy, and when you're balanced, you're more productive. And we're fortunate in our, uh, in our uh, industry. You know, we measure production in t- terms of time. Uh, so notwithstanding you have more time off, the more time you can do with clients, we can measure. And, you know, that's linked to the way in which we recognize revenue and the like. So, you know, the science, the data, <laughs> I'm talking to a data crowd here, hopefully, the data would sort of say you're more productive the healthier you are for longer. Uh, and that's important. And Deloitte Days, the feature of Deloitte Days is this. We have picked days that where everyone takes it off. That is benefit number one. So, Russell, if you and I have a day each, so to speak, and we take it on different days, guess what happens when you're off and I'm on? I'm calling you. I'm sending you an email. Yeah. And I love that, by the way. That's G- I love that you do it that way because when I first heard about it, I assumed it was like a Lou day, right? You take it when you want it. And then I thought, well, you know, if I'm a Deloitte employee and, uh, you know, I look at my phone and it says AV, I'm going to answer that. 100%. 100%. And, th- th- and this, is, this is the truth. When we introduced it, half the employees, I might be exaggerating the half, a lot of them are saying, is this guy for real? <laughs> Does he really mean we can take the day off? I can tell you now, after two and a half years in, you do not get it at call. You do not get an email. The second feature of the Deloitte Day is we, we normally put it, if, you, if it's a three-day weekend because of a statutory holiday, we'll make it a four-day weekend. Think Canada Day as an example. Um, so just give you a little bit more stretch, if you will. And when you return on the Tuesday, your inbox, exactly the same size as what you left it on on the Thursday or the Friday, whatever the case may be. And that's another thing. Think about when we take our normal leave, we come back and the inbox is like enormous. Wow. Uh, uh, as a catch-up. So, you know, the fact that we're not annoying each other when we're away and the fact that we start where we finished when we left has been very, very powerful for us and our clients, Russell. You know, like, when our clients learn about this as well, uh, and I'll mention another tool if, if I've got time. Um, Absolutely. Uh, what we call team pledge. So we would do in excess of 20,000 engagements a year with clients. We sit down with each and every engagement and we sort of say, team, including the client, how do you prefer to work? Calls at seven, do they work in the morning? Calls on a Friday afternoon, do they work in the morning, you know, uh, in the afternoon, et cetera. It's just got such good feedback with not only our people, but with our clients. Because guess what? 
we're all humans. <laughs> we all need to be well. We all need, you know, a, a, a little bit of a hand to make sure we take care of each other. And that's really resonated for us. I feel like in this part of the interview, a bunch of our listeners are now Googling how to send their resume into you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a bit about your purpose. So this idea of building a better future, and, and obviously that includes a better future for Canada, by expanding access to knowledge. What does that mean to you? The full sentence, Russell, is helping and inspiring others to thrive, people, organizations, communities, and country uh, to thrive. And we, we believe we can do that better than any organization by accelerating access to knowledge and opportunities to all Canadians. And, you know, that's what we try to do every day. We try to find that purpose in the work that we do with our clients. And if we can't, we make sure the next time around that we do find that. So how are we, you know, how are we, you know, rebuilding communities by, you know, helping an organization in the community be more impactful, more successful, more global, grow. Growth is good. You know, more people get opportunities, upward mobility of the of the communities, for instance. By extension, you know, we're a corporate citizen. We have responsibilities, you know, to things like climate. You know, what commitments can we make to climate? Or what commitments can we make to reconciliation action? And, you know, making commitments, public commitments that we're going to do that. And I'll give you an example, like, you know, in our commitments to Indigenous reconciliation and, and being able to empower you know, Indigenous organisations, economic empowerment to Indigenous organisations, education to non-Indigenous people about understanding and aware of some of the, the the multiple challenges that are experienced by, you know, First Nations people is, a, is you know, is, is part of us trying to, you know, live our purpose and where we can do that. Um, not, not necessarily as a CSR thing, but through the work that we do for others. This is what we're doing. This is what we're trying to do. We want to make, we want to play a role in making Canada better. And that means, you know, stronger citizens, stronger communities, stronger organizations. And uh, we feel that we can do that as a global, as a global organization of 415,000 people across 150 countries. We believe we can do that better than anybody. That's fantastic. I was talking to one of your employees yesterday about your purpose. What he said really struck me. And he said, the purpose starts with Deloitte employees. And he said, I have never worked somewhere where the organization has had such a sincere investment into employee training. He had actually worked for other you know, big four firms, a variety of different places. And he said the, the commitment to upskilling Deloitte employees constantly is just unequaled. Tell, tell us about that investment. I'm glad that you heard that, Russell. Uh, we, it probably speaks to why you heard that is we're never satisfied. <laughs> uh, in the sense of uh, something I said earlier, 100 years of disruption in 10 years, you've got to adapt. And we, we know this acutely. And you only adapt through training, through development. You've got to make a commitment to that. We have a university here. I'm not sure if uh, if the person mentioned that, and that's our that's 200 people per day. Um, you know, across uh, across a population, as I said, 15,000 people. 
200 people a day are going through that facility or thereabouts, say four days a week, so 800 a week or thereabouts. Uh, and, you know, that's, you know, a mechanism or a vehicle in which we can get systematic about it and keep doing it. So when you talk about, you know, 100 years of, of, of upheaval, for some of the business leaders that are listening, specifically, what do they need to prepare for and, and how can they prepare for it? I'm going to cheat if I may. I interviewed I interviewed Pia Diamandis only a week ago. <laughs> it was actually it was uh, it was on a 360 event where CEOs come in and I, you know the the message was loud and clear around recognize that it's happening. You know, recognize that it's happening is first and foremost. The second thing is that with that recognition, you're going to have to make some investments, and I mentioned. Um, you know, the investments in, in digital technology and automation, that will be a terrific place to start. And how you're using that to create time and resources to, you know, do the things that you're good at with your, your clients, your customers, your citizens, whatever the case may be. Um, so that's, that would be the first thing that you need to do. The second thing that I'd be calling upon is there's no way as an organisation you're going to keep up with this. So start to partner, align with uh, in ecosystems, if you will. We call it alliance partners and ecosystems. There's a whole part of our strategy as a big organisation. So if you're a small to medium-sized, large uh, organisation, don't discount partnering because you're not going to keep you're not going to keep on top. You're not going to have enough people <laughs> to to act on this. So that'll be the second thing. Get used to partnering. You know, it's it's the way of the future because uh, the, the concept that you're going to do it all in your four walls and we're going to do it, you know, my, I'm going to build it myself. By the time you build something, it's already moved. Uh, it's already moved. So that would be the, the second thing that I'd, that I'd, that I'd call upon uh, to do that. And then I mentioned earlier you're going to have to think more innovatively about how you're bringing in talent, you know, the, the ta- ideal talent person for you is on everybody else's uh, uh, order board for talent and there's not enough of them to go around. So you're going to have to be innovative on how you deploy or access and deploy and retain uh, particular individuals because the future is about there's more jobs that you're going to need to fill, not fewer jobs. So get your head around that. So this show is called Contributors. And and what we like to do on Contributors is tell stories of Canadian businesses that are making Canada better. So my question to you would be, how do you see that Deloitte Canada is making Canada better? <laughs> that's a difficult <laughs> that's a difficult question. I'd like to think that I'd like to think that we are we are living our advice as a corporation. You, you heard of the <laughs> you heard of the the old adage, you know, you like the cobbler's the couple's children's shoes are never in good order. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I believe that Deloitte is putting actions and deeds behind and I, I hope that that is helping and inspiring others. I've seen, and I say this in the, in the most complimentary way, I've seen others trying to follow our lead in certain areas as we are prepared to follow others uh, in certain areas, uh, even though it's not our idea. It's not our legacy. It's not our fame agenda. I'm hoping that Deloitte is a 
as a positive contributor to a community that has a bigger goal in mind and wants to work together and hopefully set an example for others to follow suit, and that being make a stronger Canada, you know, build on the values and foundation of this great country to make it even a better country, to be that shining light and example for the rest of the world. And I hope in our little way uh, Deloitte is doing that, not just in downtown Toronto, but, you know, across 26, you know, uh, locations across the country in every province. Uh, we're just playing just that little bit of a catalyst role, if you will. Hopefully we're, we're inspiring others and, and then we're backing it up with deeds, not only just talk. One of the questions that we like to ask is, is what we call the secret sauce question, which is really if, if you have access to CEOs, our listeners want to know kind of how'd you do it? What is the secret behind your success? And when I asked about you, the, the, the question was a little different. And the, the question that, that sort of came forward for you was, AV is not an accountant, and yet he leads one of the big four firms. He is not from a rich family. He's the first to go to university. Uh, <laughs> he is not a Canadian. He's new to the country. He only came in 2015. So, so how do you how do you have all of these you know potential strikes against you, and yet you still make it to CEO? How'd you do it? Uh, I think I alluded to it earlier, Russell. I mean, it's as much the organization as anything else. I get asked the question, "How do you become CEO?" I normally answer, and this with all sincerity, luck, right age, right time that you're able to do that. Uh, so that would be my first two <laughs> things. The third thing which I'm passionate about is uh, I think people would say about me and I'm just hungry. I just want to, I want to give, I want to, uh, I want to, you know, achieve, I want to be successful like everybody else. And, and I don't know if that's the immigrant in me. When you have nothing, and you know, my, my grandparents uh, who went to Australia, for instance, they come from a background of service. And one was a stonemason in Trieste. One was a sort of kitchen hand in Venice. And, uh, and we end up growing bananas. <laughs> like, I'm not sure they would have known what a banana was, but if you get exposure to that, you, you're hungry. You just, you're always trying to be better. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not. But, um, you know, I think that that's part of why I'm here today. I'm, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not special. I just work hard, uh, and uh, and then if you find the right organisation that's going to be receptive to that, uh, I think I, I love Deloitte for that because you know the people sitting around my tables, <laughs> they've all got a story like mine. You know, they're, they're, they've come from, particularly in this country, by the way. It's uh, it's built on you know settlers uh, and the like, and uh, I just I think. You know, you'll find organizations, and there's a lot in Canada, where um, no matter what your background, you're going to be successful. And it comes back to why I become a Canadian citizen, because this is one country around the world that allows you to do that. So I just want to say, Avi, thank you so much for being here today on Contributors. I really, I loved our conversation. Uh, I think our listeners are going to love it as well, and uh, really appreciate you making the time. I hope so, Russell. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure to be with you today and I hope the audience has got something out of it. And, uh, you know, I look forward to collaborating um, with, uh, 
Canadians and Canadian organisations to make this country better. So if you've got an idea, let me know. Russell, that was such a great conversation between you and AV. It really was. So much I want to unpack. Let's start with who he is, where he comes from. So AV, as he calls himself, is an outsider. And he even said something along the lines of, takes an outside view to truly appreciate what generations of Canada have built. Tell me what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, it's it's interesting because one of the one of the interesting kind of paradoxes of Canada is that it's often the people who weren't born here. It's often the first uh, generation immigrants who seem to understand Canada best, and and AV is absolutely one of them. Um, the the overall impression I got from him was he is somebody who has a lot of gratitude. He is somebody who has a lot of gratitude about the opportunities he's been given throughout his life. And, and that's really the way he approached uh, his career at, at Deloitte as well, is, is the gratitude to be accepted by Canada, to be accepted by the Canadian partners of Deloitte. And, and I really see him kind of take that gratitude and turn that around to say, how can I repay, repay that favor? How can I repay that favor by making Canada an even better place than the place that welcome, welcomed me? Absolutely. I love that perspective on his background. Yeah, his personal background is really unusual for the head of one of the, the big four firms. And I think that that is impressive. And, and I, I, I do think that likely gives him a different perspective as well, because he really talked about Deloitte as, you know, you might think of Deloitte in terms of audit. And uh, the kind of traditional elements of of what those firms did forty years ago, but that's not who they are anymore. And really, they're working. I think he said twenty nine lines of business, and really, they're about helping solve business problems and and societal problems. I think that's that definitely is something that is exciting and is maybe surprising to some of our listeners. So a uh, final thing I wanted to talk about, AV had said Canada has a math problem. And it's interesting. I immediately had thought about Young Wu, who is on a previous episode in our last season, and he said Canada has an adoption to innovation problem. And this math problem is is so true, right? And very relevant to what we talk about with our CEO, Derek Dobson. So let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, he said we need skilled and unskilled workers. We need to fix this math problem. And, and that's a, a serious issue for Canada, but something that Deloitte's working on on improving. So let's let's unpack that a little bit. It's funny that you mentioned Derek, because that's the first thing I thought of when I heard that was our CEO, Derek Dobson, who is also an actuary. And uh, that's, that's how he would frame it as well, is it's a math problem. So the math problem is really this idea of we need more workers and we need more skills than we have. And there's nowhere, uh, if you're just looking at Canada, you're not going to be able to find them. You're not going to be able to beg, borrow, or steal the talent you need. So you need to be looking globally, but you also need to be looking to technology to find ways to automate processes that might be someone's job today so that you're able to have the capacity to invent the jobs of the future. Uh, it's, it's very similar the way that 
AV talked about kind of the skills gap. It's really similar to how our CEO would talk about, you know, the retirement savings gap is that ultimately at the end of the day, it's a math problem and you can't solve it using existing mechanisms. You need to think creatively. You need to think in an innovative way and you may need to invent a solution that doesn't exist yet. That's right. Excellent episode. Great conversation, Russell. Looking forward to the next one. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for setting that up, Jade. Thank you for listening to Contributors, the podcast for Canadian leaders. We hope you'll take away some valuable key insights and lessons from today's conversation. To help us reach even more listeners, please subscribe, rate, and review Contributors on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about CAT, be sure to visit catpension.ca.